and welcome to another makeup tutorial with me, Richard Herring, showing you how I achieved this wonderful look. You have to do this with your chin, basically, and then, and then just stretch it and everything's okay. Welcome to Rahulastapur. That's what it really is. I was doing a hilarious joke. Uh, and um, this week it's with Ahir Shah, fantastic comic. He's been on one of the Edinburgh shows before. Uh, if you haven't heard of him yet, you will do very soon. And if you haven't heard of him, don't say it in the comments. You just look like an idiot. Because these are good people. You should, if you're a comedy fan, you should know who these people are. You, you go, oh, who's that? You look like a fool. That's why everyone's just looking at your comic going, who's this fool? You're a fool. So don't have people thinking that because that's what they're thinking about you. It's a really good podcast. You're going to love it. Uh, if you do like these podcasts, why not uh, go to gofasterstrike.com slash badges, become a monthly badger, help us make even more. We've got big plans for doing an audio sitcom, which we may happen this year or next year if we can raise the funds and I can write it. Um, so any money you give to us, we'll go to make more podcasts, including Rahalastapa and whatever else we can do. Um, so it's, you also get loads of extras, like downloads of my stand-up shows and, uh, backstage videos and other little extras in there and an email telling you who the guests are going to be in advance, uh, membership badge, membership pack with a badge and a secret code and loads of emergency questions. It's good. And we'll, we'll probably start sending out some other little extras as well, because you guys have been fantastic. So thanks for the support. If you are supporting us, if you're not supporting us, uh, if you can't afford to support us, if you just don't want to, a great way to support us is to tell your friends about the podcast. If you think they will enjoy it, if they listen, then that can help us as well. Uh, so just spread the word. If you are if you don't think it's a, any monetary value to you, really, do you think it's not even worth you expending the breath to say, listen to Rahalastapad to one of your friends? Is that true? My God, you want a lot from me. What's wrong? Do you want blood? I can cut myself here now if you want. Anyway, let's sit back, relax, and enjoy Rahala Stepa with Ahir Shahar. Ladies and gentlemen, hello, is this working? This microphone isn't working. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Winchester Theatre Royal. Please welcome a man who first appeared on this stage in 1988, before his guest was born, I think. <laughs> yep, just had that confirmed. It's Richard Herring! Lovely to be back. Lovely to be back in this fantastic venue. We might talk about that more later. Welcome to Richard Herring's Leper Saving Time podcast. Uh, new direction for the podcast. You've got to kind of come up with something new. There's so many podcasts now. So what I decided to do, I'm going to try and cure all leprosy in the world. It's, I'm doing a bit like what Jesus did, except he only did ten lepers. I'm going to try and do all of them. I've got, I've got the power to cure leprosy. Why just cure ten lepers? That seems rude, doesn't it? I don't like the others. Fuck them. That's what, that's, that was Jesus' attitude. That's not my attitude. I'm going to cure even the nasty ones. I'm going to cure the nasty lepers. Is this still a problem? I don't know. Um, but I was, uh, I was hanging out in Winchester Pizza Express uh, early in there. Kevin from Eggheads was sat at the next table. He's in tonight. He was reading a book of facts while eating alone. But, you know, at least he wasn't pushing anyone in a canal, so let's not knock him. <laughs> I was sitting alone reading a good book of questions as well. So, you know, it's, we should have got together with our questions and our answers. Uh, he called it Rahalastabas. I don't know if I don't know if it's one of the eggheads there. 
Uh, that's not quite true, but I, like, well, last time I was... Well, about 10, 15 years ago when I was in Winchester, I did sit in the Pizza Express uh, near to Kevin from Eggheads, who had a big book of facts that he was reading while he ate pizza. I mean, what better way to live? Um, it's beautiful to be in game. We just, uh, I, um, I, did, I did the Oxford Review here in 1988. Uh, also, to a sold, it's a, a sold-out night tonight. We were sold out in 1988. You can't get any better than that. It's just const, constant 100% Winchester. Love me. Uh, so it's lovely to be back here. Uh, uh, and uh, some facts about uh, uh, Winchester. It has a fuck-off massive cathedral. That is the main thing. It's a massive cathedral. Uh, Winchester killed Jane Austen. That's the... Uh, that's... <laughs> Little known fact about it, she wasn't she was fine until she came here, then bang, two weeks later she was dead. They got the round table, King Arthur's round tables here on a wall. That's not how tables work. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I was coming here, I was really looking forward to visiting the Badger Farm, and I would tell you I was very disappointed when I got there. <laughs> Badger in sight. Uh, Lucy Pinder is from Winchester, the uh, t- topless. Large breasted model Lucy Pinder comes from Winchester, and for, to be honest, for that, that's enough. Well done, everyone, for that. She's kind of the opposite of Kevin from Eggheads. I kind of hope they'll get married one day. That would be wonderful. You've got a few kings buried here. Um, king William II, King the Rufus. Yeah, he's buried in the cathedral. Not very good, is he? That one. You've got King Alfred the Great. Pretty good King Alfred the Great. But uh, the problem is you buried him in the cathedral. If you buried him under the car park, then you could have made something of that. No one's interested. A lot of the Ethels. King's Ethel. King Canute. King C-N-U-T. That's how you spell it. Just <laughs> He's here. So well done on that. Well done on your kings. Uh, so uh, I feel like there's something else I was going to say, but fuck it. Uh, let's move on. So my guess, that's Winchester. Keep on wanting to call you Canterbury. I hope I haven't said it yet, but I keep on... Uh, keep on wanting to say Canterbury. If I've said it, I'm sorry. I know where I am, I think. Uh, so my guest this week... Uh, he's probably best known just this week. He's probably best known. Come back next week if you can. Uh, might be sold, I think he might be sold out next week as well. Uh, he's best known as a reporter on the Premier League show. That's why we're all here to see his footballing. His footballing now. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Ahisha! Hello, hello. Ahisha. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen of Canterbury. It's a real... Uh... <laughs> I don't know where I am by now. I'm, I'm uh, into the tour. M- you know, it's like... Might I just say, it's such a pleasure to be on an openly pro-leper podcast. <laughs> um, there are a lot of anti-leper podcasts yeah. and indeed sentiments yep. uh, in this world of ours. Well, I'm kind of anti I'm kind of trying to cure leprosy. That's kind of, I'm anti-leprosy. <laughs> <Right. laughs> any lepers who are going, I yeah. like being a leper. Bad luck, Richard <laughs> Herring's here. <laughs> Getting You're getting cured. cured whether you like it or not. Exactly, yeah. I am. Uh, getting a bit close to uh, Life of Brian territory there. So uh, let's, let's move on. I realise as we ad-lib. Uh, I'm surprised. You, you did a show about being a, the, a Watford in the Premier League show. Was that you? Uh, yeah, I went, I, went to, I, went, I went to a sort of local uh, stadium mm-hmm. uh, and uh, did a thing about how we all enjoy the meltdowns that football managers uh, have. Okay. And uh, the reason that I did it was money. <laughs> it like... was really fun. But yeah. It was just like, yeah, I'm not doing anything that day. Sure. Are you a, fo- a fan of football? Yeah, I am. Okay. Good. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not just for money, it's for, it's for, the, <laughs> yeah. for the love of doing it. So, um, 
Now, look, you, I hear, have been doing stand-up comedy for a very long time. Yes. I saw an interview with you from 2003 in The Guardian when you were uh, 17 years old, is that right? No, I was 12 in 2003. Were you 12 in 2003? Yeah. No, I genuinely was born two years after you first trod right, this board. okay. <laughs> I'm desperately sorry about that. I don't know whether there was a correlation. I don't know whether uh, my parents were in the audience and uh, yeah, saw you and they were just like, we've got to start trying. Your mum was, was in the audience. Yeah, <laughs> Well, <laughs> I mean, look. The thing is, <laughs> just add a bit of brown to this. Comfortably, yes. You do look uncomfortably uh, like <laughs> my father uh, <laughs> if, if he'd been doused in bleach or something. I don't know. Uh, Good. So what? You you like the Doogie Howser of stand-up, and that's a reference you're too young to understand. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I know that that was a, a doctor, so I just yeah. assumed that that was a race thing. But uh... <laughs> 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 yeah, so I, I did um, I, I did my first gig when I was uh, 15, and I'm 28 now. Uh, so and um, yeah, uh, one of my flatmates recently pointed out that I had been doing stand-up. Comedy, it as initially as a hobby, but uh, just for half of my life, nearly. <laughs> I was like, ah, oh, sounds about enough to stop. <laughs> I not do it now. Yeah. Is there anything else you can do though? No, no. Like, this does become your only marketable skill after does. a while. It's not like I, I don't think I'm not going to fare well in the resource wars. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, when, when climate breakdown finally happens, it's not going to be like, does anyone want a zinger? Uh, <laughs> So when you were 15, were you doing the clubs? Because my wife, uh, Katie Wilkins... Yeah, we you? first met when I was a teenager, probably, yeah. yeah, yeah. It would have been. Uh, yeah, so you, you were doing, like, proper... You are going into clubs as a, as a 15-year-old... No, just doing, like, the open mic stuff at yeah. pubs in London and uh, sort of sneaking in. Just because my, my dad uh, was always trying to get me to do odd extracurricular things uh, with the hope that one of them would strike a passion. Right. And then this one did. Okay. Uh, so, and now I'm in. Was he one of those dads who wrote some of your material for you? Because there was quite a lot of young stand-ups who had a sort of dad who wanted to be a stand-up who would write jokes for them. Uh, no, mercifully not. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and what kind of stuff were you doing when you were 15? I can't remember and have no interest in finding out. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, can you remember any stand-up that you were doing like when you were at uni or something? Uh, yeah, I can remember. Every, I was, when I was doing comedy at 15 at school, I was doing yeah. sketch, but you know, we, it was, there wasn't really stand-up at that stage, certainly in Cheddar. Uh, <laughs> but I don't, don't think there's many stand-up comedy in Cheddar yeah. now. But we, everyone was sort of interested in doing sketch comedy in those days. So I, was, I, would, I did student review as, when I was 15 as well. Right. Uh, in fact, I, I think I've heard you talk about this on Headmaster's Son. Yes, I have. So I did a, a song called My Penis can sing that was one of my first yeah, yeah. my first stand-up routines uh, and uh, we, t- we did a ju- we did a sketch about the mouse that lives in a windmill where everyone was singing uh, a mouse lived in a windmill in old Amsterdam and then I saw a mouse and everyone jumped up on their chair and went where it was hilarious um, it was brilliant so what passes for entertainment in Chester, <laughs> yeah. was anyone at that gig was anyone at the gig in 1988 Oxford Review oh this would be amazing no no one <laughs> They're all dead, all those people. <laughs> they probably are. It was like, it was very much the Oxford Review touring in 1988 had an audience of mainly about 60 year olds thinking about it. So. Yeah. Well, it's like uh, a very uh, old man. Yes, I was. Uh, <laughs> it's like when I was uh, doing footlights things at university and it, you would just be in front of a sea of octogenarians wondering why none of you were Stephen Fry. I'm, like, I'm desperately sorry about that. <laughs> and so you did, you did stand up and then you went to university and yes. were you still doing stand up through university? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. and yeah. then uh, graduated and thought, well, let's give this a go for a little while. So uh, you've been doing stand for about eight years by the time you sort of came out of university, something like six or seven years. Yeah, ago. yeah. Yeah. So you must have been pretty good by the time you started out. No, because what, what on earth do you have to talk about when you're that, like, <laughs> a, it's like my penis couldn't even sing. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd, another, I'd seen no mice in windmills. Yeah. I'd barely seen a windmill, mate. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I had nothing to talk about. Uh, yeah. So I was just... Uh, just just like structured showing off. Yeah. I still do. It's sort of, I was talking about this to someone else. I forget. I've done so many of these stupid things. I forget which cunt it was. Uh, but it's uh, that kind of arrogance and confidence of, uh, um, that I must have had as well as a young person to think, yeah, I'm going to get up on stage. Yeah. Especially not when he's even at school or college, but like a, to go into the real world as a 21-year-old. Yeah, I reckon I can entertain yeah. these adults yeah. with jobs. I pretty much know how this life thing works <laughs> now. So, um, yeah. so it's incredible. You know, I don't think I would be able to do that. If I was starting now, I'd go, God, that's a really nerve-wracking thing to do. Yeah, but uh, that's what you've got to start doing things when you're massively delusional. Did uh, you get... Did you get? Because I think even when I was doing it, and I didn't start like professionally until I was in my 20s, did, did audiences react well to you being so young, or were you, was it difficult to get through that? Well, you're kind of a novelty thing, yeah. right, uh, when you're properly, properly young. Um, and then, yeah, just to, had to attempt to actually justify the fact that I was taking up everyone's time uh, when <laughs> who actually wants to listen to a 22-year-old blather on about the way that they see the world. I think relatively few people feel that way about a 28-year-old now. <laughs> Particularly in Winchester. That's yeah. <laughs> Any connection to Winchester in your life? No, I don't no. think I've ever been to Winchester before. The only thing that I know about Winchester is that Nick Helm went to university in Winchester. Oh, did he? Yeah. He used to back because uh, he was another person who uh, started around the same time as I was doing all this. So uh, when I was pulling in uh, to the station, just remembered Nick in his big, booming voice. Uh, we had uh, two best mates when we were at Winchester University. We were single all three years. We called it Lose Chester. Uh, and that was, a, that was an absolute banker for, uh, for old Helmy back in the day. So, you grew up in Wembley. It's very difficult to find stuff out about you on the internet. It took me a while to find Wembley, as that's where you grew up. Yeah. I mean, you've got a routine about more people from your school joining ISIS than going to Oxbridge. <laughs> yeah, in one we- particular, yeah. Uh, we, because the thing is, you, uh, so you're, not, you're not allowed to apply to both at the same time, so okay. you've got to really make a, a strong choice. Uh, there. But uh, yes, uh, we had we had one particularly uh, not, let, let's call it not a vintage year uh, for, uh, where where, um, where where some of the chaps uh, decided to uh, apply their wares. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, it's a, sort of a useful uh, way of dispelling because I realise that I sound as though I've been colonised by my own voice. Uh, so, but just yes, went to the but, local comp in Wembley. So did they all go to Syria? Those guys. Yeah. I mean, is that, in a way, is it safer to go to Syria as a, as a black or Asian person than go to Cambridge? That's, that's the, in a way. In a way. Well, I think it's uh, taking the kill or be killed. That's <laughs> too far, really. um, So how was Wembley? How was growing up in Wembley? I nearly moved to Wembley when we first moved to London. Uh, that was again... Oh, really? I was 1989, it was again before your time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well... Wembley, it's, it's one of those sort of uh, classic uh, London suburbs where growing up just consists of utter tedium punctuated by meaningless, gigantic violence. Uh, and that's, that's kind of what most of London outside of Zone 2 uh, is generally like. Uh, so you'll just be like, oh, God, I wish there was a shop. 
Oh, someone's dead. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> and is Wembley gentrified in the last uh, 20 years? It's, it's uh, very uh, patiently resisting <laughs> right, <yes>. uh, gentrification. <laughs> I do remember a few years ago uh, going to uh, uh, Preston Road, uh, where uh, my, my parents live, um, and uh, a co-op had just opened uh, on Preston Road near the station. I walked into the co-op because I needed to get something, and uh, there was a white... Family, a young white family with a pram and the speakers were playing Radiohead and I was like, Radiohead white family, co-op my inheritance is going through the fucking roof right now. <laughs> <laughs> really solid stuff but it, 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 stu- it stagnated at that that's as far as we've got <laughs> there, there was a Costa a little bit after that and then the Costa caught fire <laughs> And no one's really done anything about that. <laughs> is it still on fire? It's just yeah, gently it's just burning. Perpetually on fire. There's a constant effort to keep the shops either side of it from succumbing to the blaze. But Costa itself remains perpetually... Yes, people warming themselves. The Promethean feature. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. So, um... <laughs> So you, you did Edinburgh, you've done an Edinburgh show pretty much every year since 2011, I think every year since 2011. Not yeah, this I, I, well I didn't do 2011, but I did okay. 2010 and then 2012 and every year since, so okay. eight of them now I yeah. think. Yeah. yeah, so how old were you in that, for 2010 you were... Uh, so, oh no, sorry, so 2011 would have been the first one because I okay. was 20 and then skipped 2012 okay. and did 13 onwards. Yes, and in 2012 great. I did the Comedy Zone, which you may well have done. I didn't do it, no, I was never asked. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> I the thing really... is, is that Richard and I are signed to the same management. Do you know how hard it is to not be asked when you're a client? Like, like, uh... Well, I didn't really. See, I did stand up for a couple of years right at the start, like 89 to 91. And then I didn't really like it. And so we started doing uh, radio stuff and double and X stuff. So I didn't really do the circuit. So I, yeah. I sort of avoided the... Comedy Zone. My double act partner, who we may talk about later, uh, did do the Comedy Zone, though, so you have that in contact, <laughs> in, in, in yeah. common with him. Well, uh, uh, you'll, you'll be pleased to know, then, that I believe that my year was the last year that it existed, so we ran it into the ground <laughs> okay, for you. So, thank you. <laughs> when will Richard get a chance? <laughs> I'll bring it back. I might bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> it was good. It was just, like, three or four acts, wasn't it, and doing 20 minutes each. It was a nice way to start doing Edinburgh. So your first show was called Astronomy. Uh, astrology. Astrology was yeah, the first astrology, one. The second yeah. one was astronomy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, um, uh, and so, twenty years old. How did it go down? Whereabouts were you on at that early stage? Uh, I was a, a, in an underbelly room called the Wee Coo. Okay. Uh, and that was the uh, first and only time that I did the proper paid fringe. Oh, was uh, it? Because I yeah. was like, oh, right, probably it's not smart to lose loads of money unnecessarily. Yeah. Uh, probably not. Not like first. That. Yeah, but that's yeah. right because I saw you. I guess in twenty. 17. Yeah, uh, you and to, uh, you, you were, you were still in your free fringe then, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. which is very nice. Uh, basically, I, I don't know uh, if people know the uh, way that the Edinburgh Festival works, but there are all sorts of different models whereby you can do it. Uh, so some things you just sort of get given the room for free and there are no overheads. You just do a collection at the end and the venue get the money from the fact that they're getting more people through the doors and they get the bar takings. Uh, and then there's another model whereby uh, you are charged a lot to have the room the audience are charged a lot for the pleasure of being in the room, uh, and someone makes money, and no one quite knows who they are. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's clearly worked out very well for some people. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, mainly the Edinburgh landlords, I yes, think, yeah, just yeah. certainly judging by this year's uh, 
cost of my accommodation. Um, so, well, so you you've you got you start getting nominated for awards in twenty sixteen. Was it the was that 17, your, well seventeen and eighteen oh, were well, the ones that were nominated right. uh, for the main award in Edinburgh. So the seventeen one was the one that you came to. Yeah. It was yes, and, I see, and you you, uh, you lost out to two. There was we. I was actually interviewed you on the day before that it was announced, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I said it, it'd be impossible for both of you to win. Uh, but then actually, two people did win in that year, yeah. so you did very. That's when John Robbins and yeah. Anna Gadsby uh, yeah. shared the thing, yeah. and uh, I'm I'm calling it a solid bronze. <laughs> uh, that yeah, I think we can call uh, John Robbins is a silver with the way things turned out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, I did say that to him yeah. this year myself. Um, <laughs> right, let's. I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you some. One of the uh, one of the funniest moments of Edinburgh 2018 uh, was John Robbins coming back uh, to present the award for uh, the best show and uh, opening it with uh, my co-winner Hannah Gadsby would have been here as well, but retirement has proved surprisingly time-consuming. <laughs> Her show was all about uh, how she was, she was going to quit comedy, uh, but she has failed to do, <laughs> having become the most successful comedian in the world. <laughs> I'm going I'm to quit podcasting right, right, right after this one. You won't see me next week. Don't bother coming. <laughs> okay, I'm going to ask you some emergency questions. I want to ask you this emergency question because you're a, a la-di-da intellectual. Right. Uh, if you... Could go, you could choose one item from any art gallery or museum in the world that you would own, you could yeah. take home and own, but it can be anything, it doesn't have to be something fancy, it can be anything from any museum, any art gallery. Which one item would you take from any of the world's museums and art galleries and keep? Right, okay. Uh, this is quite good. I'd, I'd have the sort of master key to, yeah, maybe what, what, what gallery do I particularly like going to? I'd have... I, I, should, I should have the master key to the Tate Modern okay. and be able to go around the entirety of it whenever I please. Okay. It's, that's a trick. That means I can have anything. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> infinite wishes. <laughs> yeah. Well, you'd be able to look at it. You wouldn't be able to... If you took it, I reckon there's probably some security. Yeah, but I don't time. really want to take it away. Like, it, no. it's all of this, like... You know this horrible stuff that they have with, like, um... What's it? With these weird ports... And stuff where you're technically not in any country uh, for tax purposes, and super rich people just buy up loads of art and store it in those things, uh, so they're not subject to any tax jurisdiction uh, and can just sit there and appreciate, and no one ever gets to look at it because it's yeah. just in a temperature-controlled place. And that doesn't seem like a, a kind thing to do to the world. No, so I guess I'm not going to be like, I'm going to take the Mona Lisa, and none of you cunts are allowed <laughs> anywhere near it. <laughs> well, it's weird. I was told my niece. My niece stayed over last night, and her landlord. She lives in Leeds. Leeds Museum or Art Gallery has a has a system where you're allowed to uh, rent some of the works of art yeah. uh, from the that aren't being used in the gallery, and uh, she has a Matisse in her house at the moment. <laughs> now it's a slightly damaged, very yeah. small cartoon sketch by Matisse, but it's still I mean, a Matisse. I, I also have a Matisse in my flat, but that's because comedy's been very good to me. <laughs> <laughs> but that's still so they've started doing art galleries because of me, I think. Asking that question to everyone. What do I think I want? I'd, I'd like to, what I would take now, I've changed my mind. Uh, yeah. He was one of the, uh, the, the chess men from uh, the Isle of Lewis, but now I want the giant pencil from the Keswick Pencil Museum, There's, which is the second biggest pencil in the world. I don't want the biggest one. I want the second, <laughs> second biggest pencil in my man. house. Yeah, you're I just want it in my man. house, but go, second biggest pencil. <laughs> Could have had the first, but went for the second. Um, <laughs> 
remember the last museum that I went to in Leeds was, the, have you been to the Royal Armouries? No. Uh, it's really good. Uh, basically, if any of you uh, go Leeds, um, <clears throat> go to the Royal Armouries, it's basically just like loads of like swords and armour and all that sort of thing. Uh, but it's fascinating because they do weaponry through the ages and you've gone through all of these rooms being like, oh my God, those are such cool swords. And then you get to the end and there's a whole room that you have to go through about how knife crime's actually a really serious problem. And really bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you've just spent the last two hours telling me that there is nothing cooler in the world than loads of knives. And they're like, this does not seem like that. Yeah. Well, they're very like mixed messages in the Royal Army. They Armour. like swords, but they're knives. It's like an affront to the sword, isn't it? It's like a tiny sword. <laughs> so when they decided to bring tiny swords out, we didn't like it anymore. <laughs> we liked it when you had a fair yeah, it's chance. It's so ungentlemanly. It <laughs> is. Of a big sword, you can see the other person's got one. It takes a while to lift it up. You've got a chance to get something to defend mm. yourself with. Yeah, good. it's good to see. Good to see they ruin their own music. <laughs> the other, uh, one thing that I would recommend is do not go to the Leeds Arbury Museum uh, during the school holidays, uh, as I did, because there is a special room where you get to shoot a crossbow. If you give them, like, three quid, you get a few guys at shooting the crossbow. I was like, right, I will be spending £300 in this crossbow room <laughs> uh, to have as many goes on the crossbow as possible. But then I was the only person over 10 in the queue. <laughs> and it, it felt too embarrassing. So I've still never shot a crossbow. Oh, you should be... You look, you look like you're under 10. You can get away with Because <laughs> you see me really hastily shaving <laughs> in the corner of the... You could get away with it. Um, we'll ask you, I'll ask you a random emergency question. Sure. Then, we'll, then we'll be back to the proper questions. Um, uh, what do you think the fourth law of robotic, robotics should be? Do you know what the three laws of robotics are? Uh, so it's um, what cannot harm a human. Yeah. Is that, uh, and then the second one is something as long as it uh, must do what a human tells it to unless that conflicts with the first law. Okay. And the third is must preserve itself unless that conflicts with the first two. Wow, that's pretty good. I don't know if that's right, but it sounds good, isn't it? <laughs> is that, oh, right. I think... Is that someone in here must know? Is that <laughs> is about, it right? about I mean, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Action or inaction, the first one. Action or Yeah, all right, clever dick. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a lot of time for this guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's basically it's the wheelhouse of my audience. This. <laughs> I'm surprised everyone did go, yep. Yeah. Oh, actually, it's in action or inaction. <laughs> in unison. Yeah. My well, thought... With my crowds, it's just like, does anyone have any antidepressants on them now? Like, yeah. <laughs> The four, my fourth law is you cannot have sex with a robot that you yourself have created. That should be the fourth one. Uh, my, uh, my fourth law will be I must have sex with any robot you have created. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. I'll, I'll, you make some and I'll make some and we can swap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then we can get around that fourth. Do you think uh, having uh, sex with a robot should be considered cheating on your partner? Or do you think it's... Do you think it's... I think it's okay. Uh, it's, okay the, it's, this, like, it's not cheating, is it? It's okay. This sounds like the question of a man who desperately needs validation <laughs> for a decision my he wife, has already made. My wife thinks it is cheating. Right. Uh, I mean, it was when I was watching Humans and I was talking about Gemma Chan. I said I would like, yeah, to, but that... I would like to have sex with a robot object. Not Gemma Chan. I wouldn't like to do that. I would like to have sex... <laughs> That would be cheating on my wife. That would be. But if there was an exact robot of the exact Gemma Chan that acted like Gemma Chan, yeah. I'd love to have sex with that. <laughs> and it wouldn't be cheating, right? Because of so, it not being real. And 
to what extent do you need proof? Would it be enough if Gemma Chan were to say to you, Richard, I would like to have sex with you, and I am a robot, by the way? Yes, that would be and enough. And you just take it at face value. <laughs> she said she was a robot. If she said it in a voice like that, that's entrapment, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Because that was like a robot like, voice. Robots can't lie. That's one of the laws. <laughs> Well, I think. Are you in a, you in a relationship? I am not, no. You're not? Oh. Well, you can have sex with any robot you want. <laughs> <laughs> I envy you. I envy you. <laughs> envy that freedom. My wife's stopping me doing it. <laughs> they use vibrators, don't they? They're hypocrites, women. Yeah. They're, they're hypocrites. <laughs> hypocrites. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. So, um, Look, you have a vibrator, and yet the second I have sex with someone who says she's a robot, all of a sudden it's the, the double standard comes into play. Exactly. Um, so uh, I'm a big fan of the MASH report, which you are you. working on, uh, yes. both as a writer and uh, as a reporter on the MASH report mm-hmm. occasionally. Um, how, how are you finding... It's quite a, a turbulent time. As we're recording this in uh, October... 2019. This is going to go out in sometime in 2020. This will be released in two Prime Ministers' time. <laughs> oh, not that soon. It's not that yeah. soon. <laughs> um, it's, it must be, a, I mean, a, a great time to be doing comedy, but also, like... Because often you're writing something, you record it, and then the news has changed within yeah, the day. Yeah, well, absolutely. Between, uh, like, I remember um, during the uh, week two record uh, where I was doing a correspondence piece as well, uh, and... It, at the end of the record, when we all took our phones off airplane mode, they're like, oh, fuck, the Operation Yellowhammer report came out while we were doing this. <laughs> uh, and so just hastily wrote a bunch of things. Like, maybe say this. Uh, and, then, uh, and it was all uh, very quickly moving. Uh, so it, it is a very interesting time to be doing it, but equally just sequestering yourself in a room with a few other people and just sitting in there all day, being constantly up to date with everything going on in the world is fucking horrible. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen out there. Don't read the news. I don't read the news unless I'm working on something that requires me to read the news. Because yeah. it's just really upsetting. Yeah. And I've got no interest in it. And it's like that uh, lovely um, Bill Hicks bit from ages ago when he talked about... Uh, well, obviously ages ago. But uh, when, when he um, <laughs> talked about, like, I don't know if you ever watched... Uh, 24 hours CNN for like 18 hours and it's just like war, death, famine, war, death, famine and you look out of the window and it's just like choop, 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 and it's just like nice birds and you're like oh yeah it's better to focus on that bit than yeah that. it's true I mean I listened to uh, the news on the way up as I was driving up here in 20 minutes if it was depressing enough today, yeah. today. <laughs> so uh, do you think I mean you know it's ob- you, you've sort of discussed this a little bit in your act I think but I'm sure you have it so you do a very political uh, stand up act um, but well, do you I feel less so, less so now? The last okay. show that you saw was very yeah. political, but the last year. But do you feel weird? Do you news. feel weird uh, sliding towards fascism? I think I saw you talking about this at some point. But do you think we're? Yeah, I mean, like that, that's sort of the. It's, it's an odd thing to think about at the moment because you simultaneously don't want to be alarmist and definitely don't want to be underprepared. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the uh, position to be in at the moment. And I think it's um, it's quite an interesting one in terms of, like, different communities and different people are having to have different conversations at the moment with their families uh, and stuff. So just, like, 
trying to, I will occasionally sit down with my parents and work out like what the specifics of medical care would look like if my father, who is not a British citizen and refuses to become one, uh, were denied access to the NHS, then how would we go around doing that? Uh, because that's unfortunately not an entirely unrealistic uh, proposition sure. uh, now. Uh, and it's weird, like, but I, I, th- I think that's, that's always the case where sort of groups who end up being on the receiving end of whatever terrible stuff is going on uh, you do have to talk about it. And if you're, if you're not on the inside of it, then sometimes you don't know about that. And then that's also the case uh, with lots of... I'm uh, straight and I'm a man, and so there's loads of stuff that I don't know yeah. is going on and uh, about conversations uh, happening elsewhere. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's just, we're fucked. <laughs> we're really catastrophically fucked. Well, it was, uh, we, it was just this week was the Conservative Conference and Pretty Patel was doing her... Oh, God, I mean, yeah. like... It is so thrilling that we have finally reached a stage where someone who looks like a member of my family can entirely fuck over my family. <laughs> <laughs> really, this is what we've been aiming for with equality yeah. this entire time. Uh, yeah. well, it, was, it kept cutting to the audience who looked, like, excited about her saying that there should be no immigrants, but also confused. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Well, but she was, I mean, it was thing, a, like, it's, you know, it's, it's a very exciting time for immigrant populations because we, we are doing increasingly well and uh, things are getting better for, like, financially for us and stuff like that. But it's just really sad to know that so many in our communities still can't afford to buy a mirror. Uh, <laughs> she was, the thing I noticed about it, though, she, she kept on, like, really looking at the camera and smirking. It was yeah. like she was in flea bag. I will end. No, I think Tory conference flea bag is am I a massive <laughs> asshole? Not do I have. Uh, 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 no, it's just, yeah, smiling at the camera while saying that we will end free movement once and for all. What? In what world does free movement sound bad? <laughs> <laughs> This is like, you know that means us too, right? <laughs> um, though I find her quite sexy. <laughs> she's a bit like the bald queen, that's the thing. She's, she's got that sort of, I, I kind of... There's, when women get very right-wing... <laughs> like, the, I don't think there's much more right-wing than the bald queen. <laughs> that there's, there's something that, that I, I, I turn for that. I would just think that'd be quite... I'm quite excited by that. And that, again, that can't count as cheating. They're bare... They're, they're bare, it's bare there's no, if there's no humanity in someone... <laughs> she's, she's sexy, though, Pretty Patel, right? Because she's so... She's so evil. I'm not doing this okay. right <laughs> You're single. You can go there. You can go there. She won't like you because of your ethnicity, but it's... it's... <laughs> Maybe we can do a Serrano de Bergerac kind of thing where... No. <laughs> Good. Uh, so... Um, so what do your current... I would like to apologise on Richard's behalf, Katie. <laughs> I will never apologise. Um... For my, for my feeling. If it's wrong to love a fascist... 
I am wrong. Uh, so you, what's your, your current shows then? Is the, you are, will be touring hopefully when this is still going out? Uh, yes, so that's going if to be... If you're still in the country. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that will uh, be touring uh, around the UK until the end of April 2020 or in Mumbai. Uh, <laughs> could be either. Don't know how it's going to go down. Uh, I've got the overseas citizenship, so I should be all right either way. So um, tell us about this show. Yes, uh, so this show is sort of about certainty about its uh, presence, uh, absence, necessity, utility, uh, and everything like that. I was just thinking a lot about um, the different kinds of ways that you can have certainty, and particularly contrasting myself with my dad, who sort of has uh, certainty in his relationship and his family and his religion and his politics, and for me, everything else, uh, everything on all of those levels feels far more up in the air. So while he has a cast-iron ideology, is married to the only woman he's ever been with, and thinks that when he dies he's going to come back as a sparrow or some shit, uh, right? Um, <laughs> I'm a single atheist who votes Lib Dem out of a lack of imagination, right? And, uh, <laughs> that's the uh, position that I've ended up in. Uh, and so it was uh, largely built around... Uh, I was uh, writing uh, one particular uh, show until about halfway through the process uh, when the relationship that I was in uh, rather unexpectedly uh, ended uh, and then was uh, broke for a while uh, and then uh, wrote another show, which was the one that ended up uh, going to Edinburgh and being this one, uh, which all sort of came together nicely in the end. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, that's, it is... I mean, the world is so uncertain, I think. Again, for, you know, you're, you are literally a millennial, aren't you? This is, yeah. You are one of these millennials we hear all about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it's... One of those I'm, ones I'm we've got. I'm not quite now. a baby... I'm in between the baby boomers yeah, and the millennials. Uh, so Gen, Gen X. Gen, Generation Gen X, X, I am. Yeah. I don't, so I don't know how much blame I take for, <laughs> for the baby boomers. I think I, get, I can just about get away. I can join either team, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to try and get in with the millennials. Uh, <laughs> well, yes, in, it, in more ways than one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's because I mean I've seen you doing that routine about um, you know the housing, the impossibility of getting on the housing ladder. Whether well, then being no ladder is a very funny routine, uh, and you know. But it is it, it, it changed so much. You know, when I I moved to London in nineteen eighty nine, and you know you could rent. Oh, a... I, I moved there the next year. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't come in from the same route, though. Actually, I just I had been in that one. Uh, but, uh, um, and, you know, you could... Rent... It's always lovely to know uh, that when you're a teenager and watching someone and looking up to them <laughs> and following their work, that one day the two of you will be sat on stage in front of 400 people as colleagues and he will be telling you how he fucked your mum. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's, it's a real moment for me. <laughs> But I moved to London, I lived in a house with three other people, and we paid £60 a week in Fuck. rent each. Uh, which was about half of my money that I earned from my first job. Uh, so I could, I could afford some potatoes and wine from, uh, <laughs> from uh, Rimpy's Food, Fags... Foods, non-foods, wine, fags, wines and spirits. Fags, food, non-foods, wines and spirits. Rimpy's, it's on Horn Lane. I don't think it's there anymore in Acton. Non-foods? Uh, yeah, non-foods. <laughs> Isn't... Everything in the universe <laughs> contained within one of the criteria. Yeah, they had everything. It was the shop that sold everything. You could buy a bottle of wine for £1.50 and that would do us. You could buy a potato. You could buy a non-food. <laughs> oh, just, could really go for a non-food. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so, and, you know, and I could get, you know, I got on the housing ladder within about 10 years and it was, as, as someone not earning that much money, yeah. maybe £30,000 a year I was earning, I could get a deposit down on a flat. I mean, that's... Yeah, that doesn't suck, happen doesn't now. That must suck when you hear yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, it's not ideal. Uh... <laughs> How would you? What do you have to do as a millennial to get a house? If you just have someone has to die, someone has to, you have to rob a bank. Yeah, either you've got like fancy parents, or you grew up in London and someone dies or something, yeah. uh, or you end up doing a job that's very well paid. But it it doesn't sound like it's just a, the unsettling thing is always like the equivalence of the people who were in your position, say twenty years ago, yeah. now would never be able to. And like for example, uh, the fact that. Uh, our family of four was supported by my mother's wage as a state primary school teacher uh, in London, and that was fine. Could never the equivalent of her now could never do that. No. Uh, and that's firstly that's a real problem in terms of the uh, training and maintaining of key workers, and also just like a horrible human problem for yeah. where families. What? But what do you? Do? I mean, I'd, I mean, with everything, with the climate. I mean, obviously, it sort of is. Things are happening, and, and uh, young people are starting to go. Hold on, yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, but with the climate and with with you know this inequality within through the generations, what do you think the the realistic options are? Because it seems to me like there's only one realistic option. And as a homeowner, I'm 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 not behind it. <laughs> <laughs> as an old man homeowner, <laughs> I don't know because like even the the one thing now that after the last a few decades of policy can't be allowed to happen is a vast number of middle-class people being trapped in negative equity because that is the only thing... Like, that's seemingly, for successive governments, that has felt like the only like thing that can never be allowed to happen yeah. uh, for uh, the country's economy. So even if there were a Brexit-fueled uh, reduction in house prices, we've now become so addicted to their constant inflation that I think everyone would just go spectacularly insane very quickly. I just sort of feel... Do you not feel that it's got to... Something's got to break, right? And if Brexit happens, if it's happened for you at home, how, how, is, how is... Tell us. Yeah. <laughs> if it's not, I bet it hasn't happened yet. But has it? There's no way of knowing. I don't reckon it no will happen. I don't think it's happened yet. We'll see. Um, but... You know, with all these people, I mean, seemingly Brexit being pushed through by people who just want to make lots of money on the pound being fucked. That seems like quite a short term. Hooray, I've made loads of money in a desolate land where there's nothing to buy. And, you know, I look at the Russian Revolution, which I was always quite obsessed with, but that's people getting to the point where the, the divide between rich and poor is so great that the rich people have no idea how they're flaunting their wealth and how, you know, the, the, the richest people in pre-revolution Russia were just so ridiculously rich uh, and the poorest people were so ridiculously poor. And you, you just get to a point where surely just something implodes and that's the only way through it, isn't it? If, if, the, if, the, universe, if, the, if the world's going to be destroyed unless we stop climate change then the revolution's the only option, isn't it, for you? Uh, well, I, I don't think that things are quite uh, <laughs> uh, as, as febrile as uh, Well, that's what I'm saying. Uh, what I'm saying is if the Remain people were going, we're going to pick up arms and fucking fight the shit out of you 
if if there's if we don't if we leave the if you leave the EU, the problem then is, is that pro- both camps are dominated by people who are shit at fighting <laughs> for different reasons. Yeah, I know, but yeah. you know, I mean, I, I I fancy remains chances against the elderly. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Why are people worried about armed revolt? <laughs> oh yeah, the riots are not going to happen. <laughs> no. Um, That's a prediction. How is it in 2020? Uh, I hear promised me this wouldn't happen. Oh, it's dramatic irony. That's what it is for you people, <laughs> you people at home. Um, let's talk about. Because uh, I think there was Stuart Lee mentioned you quite a few years ago in, uh, in an article on uh, uh, in his, in in his, his book. book as well. But I think he started yeah. as a little article that I found. Um, where he accused you of stealing one of his trademark bits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when I was did, 17 I or 18 or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and the idea of uh, going out into the audience. That's his idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think some pantomimes might have a, have a word to say. With um, yeah. But, you know, it's behind me. Uh, <laughs> it seemed... Um, <laughs> It seemed weird because he he could have not he named you right in the yeah yeah it's sort of and you were like a he like did a, and then I took it up with him and he uh, removed my name oh, but did kept he? the rest of everything okay because in the article I saw he named you yeah right? which seems like a dick move <laughs> it's not a thing to do to a child but there it you is. are <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you didn't did, were you influenced by him yeah of course I mean yeah. like I was uh, yeah I was yeah interested in comedy and in, in that time period and yeah. you couldn't you couldn't not be. Yeah. Uh, I don't think and I, I do think that he's made some uh, incredible things uh, to with this a, with a bit of help. Uh, <laughs> 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 but yeah I think it's sort of weird because when we were I knew him when he was eight, 17 or 18 probably 18 and yeah. you know, we were both very influenced by other comedians so yeah. it's you know and and it's you know you could pick out the people he was influenced by, but did you? Was that a bit you? Because you were doing it in a in a gig you were on with him. Uh, yeah, and then I I did a other gig. I did Political Animal in Edinburgh right. uh, that summer after the book had been published, uh, and brought that up uh, on stage. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, it, it just sort of that that was that, and then there was a sort of like handshake and a okay, fine, okay, uh, and and it was done. Okay, yeah. do you want to slag him off a bit though? <laughs> Oh, no, I'll do it for you. If you don't want to do it, I'll do it for you. Uh, there aren't many comedians he hasn't got some kind of beef with, to yeah. be honest, but... Maybe something to do with who you're represented by. So it's... Uh, it may oh, we all know why, Rich. <laughs> um, let's move on. We'll go on to an emergency question. Yeah. One, one day we'll talk about him properly. <laughs> not today. It's not today, my friends. When he's dead, it won't be long. Back for you at home. <laughs> I won't edit it out, even if he is. So uh, it's, let's let's ask you some. Uh, let's ask some classic emergency questions. Sure thing. The, uh, the uh, have you ever tried to suck your own cock? <laughs> I, I don't ask many people this. Genuine, I've never tried that. I tried. No. Even once you'd heard me ask that question, I must give it a try now, Richard. <laughs> now I've heard Richard ask that question, I must. 
Oh, I'll try later. Sure. Okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've never been a particularly flexible man. Okay. But I, I think that the only person who I'm aware can do it is... Yeah. F- okay. A uh, stand-up comedian. Yeah. Uh, okay. uh, I must get him on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, ask him. I don't know if that's a yeah. thing that everyone's supposed to know. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but, yeah can suck his own dick, right, okay. uh, but I've never heard of anyone else being able to do it, okay. so I was just like, I'm probably not that exceptional. I think, um, I think can do it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You should get the two of them together. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, give it a go and let me know. Could you just yeah, I'll take a go and let me yeah. know. <laughs> well, I'll just do it a little bit at the end. Uh, here, Shah, can not suck his own <laughs> uh, Just edit the one out. Isn't uh, here, Shah. <laughs> okay, let's ask a more classic emergency yeah, questions. But I, I think that the point is, like, I've never, I've never been interested in the idea of sucking a cock. Yeah, but you're and getting, so you... I don't know why sucking my cock well, would be different. You're looking at that. it from the wrong angle. <laughs> You've got to just flip your mind round. And you're just be like, oh your... my god, I'm getting a blowjob. <laughs> my cock sucks. <laughs> This is amazing. This is one of the few questions that I'm not going to ask you back because I'm sure you have. I'm sure you continue to try. I'm surprised you haven't tried. That's all I'm saying. All right, um, um, have you ever seen a ghost? Uh, no. Mm. Uh, so that, that's one of the things that, like... I remember when I was a child, I always used to think that, like, my grandparents' house was haunted or something like that. And then, in retrospect... I, oh no, I was just a child who was frightened because he was away from home, so it all felt a bit spookier. Uh, that's when the ghosts saying. come, though, when they know that's, yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. when they know you're in that vulnerable position, that's when they come. Um, okay. <laughs> Have you? Yeah, they're good. I don't know, because they don't exist. Uh, it's, though I was talking, Nick Frost I, was on uh, in uh, the, the la- just recently for people at home. Uh, and. <laughs> In his book, he tells this story about... And I, I, I was listening to the book, so maybe I misheard it and it was a film or something he was watching. But he t- I asked him if he'd ever seen a ghost, expecting him to tell this story where him and Simon Pegg went into a burnt-out house to look for where kids had died and there were bells ringing and he went into this room and he saw... and he, they, they heard this bell constantly ringing like a servant's bell and they got into the room where it was ringing and they looked and they saw this charred child who then opened his eyes and looked at them. And when I asked him if he'd ever seen a ghost, he told a different story. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like it couldn't be true, the thing that was in his book. So it might have been a dream or something, and I just, he just started writing some of his dreams down in his autobiography. So that one's or quite... he's just like, I don't talk about that. Yeah, it's, well, he's written in his book, though, so it was quite scary. <laughs> to excise it, to yeah. exercise it. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he doesn't want to talk about it. Well, you know, it's up to, it's up to him. But, but if anyone... I wouldn't bring it up on a comedy podcast <laughs> <laughs> if really I had scary. seen the burnt husk of a dead child. <laughs> it's really scary. Case Bond, it's really scary. I'd be mean, like, lads, you're not going to believe this one. Settle in. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I just was worried. I, thought I, didn't, I didn't pick him up on it because I was worried that the ghost would get me. <laughs> It was scary. Uh, and let's, let's do... Uh, I haven't asked this one for a long time. Would you... Because you're single, you can answer yeah. this question. Uh, I'm not going to rub it in. Would you... I wish I was single. Would you rather... <laughs> wish I was uh, 28 and single. Uh, would you... <laughs> it's not bad, actually. <laughs> it's not bad, yeah. yeah. I bet it's good. Um, 
I was twenty robots these days. Yeah, <laughs> I was twenty-eight and single. It was terrible. Uh, would you rather? Would you rather date a man who is a six-foot-tall penis? <laughs> so he is. Yep. A six-foot-tall penis. Yeah, it's just a, as if that's all there is. They're all there is. He might have some balls at the bottom that he sort of shuffles along on. <laughs> He's got a face uh, on his the helmet bit. And he might think, like, I think... Arms? Well, he's, I think he would put, just out of politeness to society, he'd wear a sort of jacket with false arms on it, like rod, <laughs> like rod arms. But they wouldn't be, he wouldn't be able to use the arms unless he got mechanical arms, which he might do. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, it's like, it's just like a hole on top of his head <laughs> that stuff can come out. I think he would have to eat, he'd have to somehow ingest through, food through there. Yeah. Or a man who, instead of having a penis, has a tiny man there instead. <laughs> but the thing is, this is, so I'm dating that, but this could be a celibate relationship. I'm not necessarily well, I think, you know, expected to... <laughs> well, yeah, it'd be, it'd be difficult to... Yeah, I'm not expected to do anything with either but I, of them, so know, I, think brought... I, I mean, if I was dating the six-foot-tall penis man, I'd wank him off oh, a yeah. bit. <laughs> Yes, yes, out would. of pity. Because yeah. he couldn't, he's got no arms. Those arms are just uh, hanging recently. I would, I would date yeah. the guy who had another guy okay. instead of a dick. Yeah. Because then we could go out and about and it'd just be normal. No yeah. one would be like, why is there a six foot tall dick? <laughs> yeah. Like, on the central line. Yeah. <laughs> hanging out. <laughs> uh, and then, when we got back, get into bed, take off our clothes... There's another chap there to have a discussion with. <laughs> Three friends. <laughs> Lovely. Good. Makes sense. Good to know. Got someone to mediate in arguments? Yeah. But if you, if you did have sex with the guy, you'd yeah. have to have the other guy put up you. <laughs> you'd be happy with that? I don't, I don't think he'd be happy with that. <laughs> you'd have to have I scuba diving equipment. Man, like, I, think, I think I would very much be the top in that scenario. <laughs> I think that says a lot about you, that answer. Then I feel well, like... but I don't want to make a dick-sized man <laughs> yeah. go in my ass. Yeah, yeah. That and the fact that you were embarrassed to be seen out with the penis man, who's just a... He's probably got a nice personality, and you've judged him. He can't help being born that way. You dated him. You went on a date with him, and then you... Could have just said, I'm not going on a date with you, mate. I've got a prejudice against penis men. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, it's the last socially acceptable prejudice to be prejudiced against on a, six foot tall dick. On a similar note, yeah. this is a question I asked more rarely in the past. Would you rather date a woman who is a six foot vulva or a woman who instead of having genitalia has, a, has another woman, woman living in a burrow between her legs? <laughs> I mean, that sounds like that woman could just pop out any time she wants and runs around. She's not even like a tap. She's just like a marsupial. <laughs> Which of those would you like? I, I can guess from you with your, your prejudice against six foot tall genitals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to continue that prejudice <laughs> okay, now. That's what I thought. Uh, right, good. Well, um, we're having too much fun. Uh, we started a bit late, didn't we? We've got a bit of time. Um, 
So one of your shows uh, was about, uh, I didn't know this about you, you were in Paris during the uh, terrorist attacks. Yeah. So we, we, how much in Paris? Were you, were you like, in, uh, caught um, up in that or just in the... So uh, this was the 2016 show, so this was in yeah. uh, November 2015, and I had been uh, performing in uh, Paris that night at a place called the Panama Café, okay. uh, Rue de la Fontaine au Roi, uh, and uh, there was one of the restaurants that was getting shot up was a couple of doors down, so uh, I'd just come off stage, uh, and like loads of armed riot police came in and sort of evacuated us. Down a side street so that they could run towards the shooting, which is the bravest thing I've ever seen and braver than anything that I'll ever do, I think, and in many ways hope. Uh, and, yeah, just heard, heard lots of guns and know what that sounds like. I made it funny in the end. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, the, the difficult thing was um, my girlfriend at the time, uh, who not, not the one uh, who uh, the relationship ended earlier this year, but... Um, uh, was at the time getting the Eurostar uh, from London to Paris, and she and I were trying to find one another in the midst of this. Uh, and there were, uh, retrospectively, turned out like three separate massacres going on uh, to, through the path that we had to take to uh, get to be with one another again. And that was, um, yeah, not ideal. Yeah. Suboptimal. Yeah. <laughs> I'd call it. Yeah, well, I mean, there's, there could have been worse. Yeah, because I often wonder what, how I would uh, react in that situation. Mm. Obviously, you sort of think, you like to think you would be super heroic, but I'm pretty sure I would be super chicken. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a limited amount of uh, heroism that one can do uh, when one is unarmed and unarmored and everyone else has machine guns. Yeah. Um, Although uh, my, uh, my uh, then partner, uh, Victoria, uh, did do a, a very heroic thing of uh, she um, tended to someone who had been shot in the, uh, sort of took them into the apartment of um, the, the hallway of an apartment building and administered first aid uh, and fed them Percy pigs. Uh, <laughs> uh, they, they, were, they were non-fatally shot. They'd been shot through the wrist. Uh, okay. but, uh, so she looked after them uh, for a while until sort of more qualified help was able to uh, come. Yeah, and how do you go about... A, at what point do you think, during that, there might be some comedy in this? Because <laughs> <laughs> the comedians have, like, a weird thing where if something bad is happening, there's a part of them going, but this is good for my comedy. I don't think this situation will be one of them because I think when you think you might actually die, yeah, thinking, those, those that's going to be bad. Like, yeah. That's bad for my comedy if I am dead. <laughs> But well, what, great for the retrospective assessment of the art, I think. <laughs> like, you know, uh, but at what point did you think there was a show in that, and, and how did you go about uh, turning it's, that it's into... It's not that there was a whole show in it. That was the sort of one that I ended um, the, the 2016 uh, show with, because that show was very much... Um, that I thought of that and the 2017 one as two halves of the same thing, where in 2016 I was saying that it felt like the world was on the precipice of... Uh, sort of much brighter future or a resurgent, much darker past uh, and that we were tiptoeing this tightrope between the two of them and I couldn't foretell which way we were going to fall. And then in 2017, after uh, everything that uh, happened subsequently with uh, sort of uh, Trump in the US and everything that's happened here, I was like, right, I think I know which way we've fallen now. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that was the thing of like... Uh, remember the fact that I felt so optimistic 
going into Galdunor and realizing that I looked just as much like a Frenchman as anyone else who was hanging around uh, and that we could all be part of something where you can just travel over, like get a train over to a country that historically there have been wars against hundreds of years ago and everything mm-hmm. like that. But now just wander over and, oh, I'm going to make people laugh. What a nice thing uh, to be able to do. And there like, felt a, a real sense of optimism that was then just punctured by this sort of uh, resurgent medieval violence yeah. uh, that was seeking to reassert itself uh, in, the, in this horrid way. Uh, and that was a, yeah, and so it was just trying to still find the, whether there could be any optimism in there and thinking that the optimism may come from taking care of people and Percy Pigs. <laughs> yeah. I do th- <laughs> do th- no, I thought it was going to be a proper round of <laughs> Happens sometimes, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> but I, if there is something positive to be taken out of it, of both of these extremes, which are sort of feeding each other, obviously, the, the right-wing politics and the terrorism sort of have a lot of similarities in their view. They're looking at the world and they're, they're enemies. And, but... you, if you start revealing that you also want to fuck Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi, <laughs> that's going to be a... <laughs> I'd give it a go. If it, if it could... But do you think there's a lot that sort of death throw? In a way, are they the death throes of something past? So the, the mm. things become violent and things become extreme because they're actually, yeah. you know, I think I, it, I, I hope that whatever happens here, yeah. that the next generation are going to sort of eventually turn it around in the other direction again. Well, I think that part of the problem is uh, that. So there's that uh, fascinating Gramsci quote of uh, the old is dead, the new cannot be born, and in the interregnum many morbid symptoms will appear. And I remember reading that for the first time and thinking, God, yeah, that's exactly what this is. This is the interregnum where the morbid symptoms will appear because the new cannot be born. And I thought, with the exception of like three years in human history, everyone has always thought that they were in the interregnum with the morbid <laughs> symptoms, yeah. uh, because I don't think that there is any sort of like a teleological march to progress or anything like that. Uh, it's all just like chaos and trying the best that you can. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, well, I think that certainly historically the, that, that is true. It ebbs and flows and back and forth and enlightenment yeah. followed by the Dark Ages. And that, there's no reason why that can't happen again. But I also do wonder whether... You know, I, I just, I, I don't see how sustainable any of the, you know, what is going on with Brexit, I don't see how sustainable it is from the point of view of the people who are pushing it through, because they're going to push it through, and then it's all going to fall apart, and uh, yeah, however much they keep blaming other people, which seems to be the politicians' way through now, is not me, I'm great, everyone else is terrible, it's the sort of Stuart Lee defence, yeah. uh, is, <laughs> you know, eventually people are going to go, oh, no, mate. It can't be right all the time. It must be you. Oh, actually, it's all you. You fuck this up. Well, yeah, the, I know, but then, then people get, also have to take individual responsibility, and then that's never going to happen. Like, I think there are just lots of people who want there to be a revolution so that it may be betrayed, and they can cry betrayal uh, as a result. I think that that's all people like Nigel Farage have ever really wanted. Yeah. Um, but do you think... I just And it'll work. Yeah. Is the most annoying bit. I think it worked, but I think these things work for a bit, and then they get overturned you know i think that's i think if you keep pushing things to the extreme it just it's it, it, it gets uh gets i hope you're up. right I, me too <laughs> don't matter for me i'll be dead by then yeah. so it's, um, <laughs> I, I played it exactly right 1967 <laughs> to, to 2022 yeah. the golden years then 
I'm out of here. Yeah. Whereas I, I was born during what people called the end of history and will die at the actual end of history. Though you could be immortal. Your generation could be immortal. Oh, that suck. Yeah. <laughs> More of this. Yeah. You know, like, it's... I, I had to, like, I washed my bedding earlier today and just had to, like, you know, just tucking everything around and doing it, like, forever. <laughs> that forever. Yeah. Unless we can invent a machine that gets the, du- that means that you yeah. don't have to do the duvet shuffle. I reckon you can, and then you can probably fuck it. <laughs> it's right by the bed. Disney, put I want to live back. forever. <laughs> I now want to live forever. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> We've made the bed. Let's mess it up again. <laughs> so we, we're coming to the end uh, of this delightful podcast. We've covered a lot of stuff. It's very good. Uh, and uh, uh, I can talk about you've been in uh, catastrophe acting. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, and uh, campus a bit more. Yeah. Any more plans? There's a very good, um, you must check it out, uh, little sketch you did about uh, the Brexit sketch, where, the, oh, the yes. in-law, where your in-laws, in-laws voted Brexit. Yeah, that, uh, me good and Freya Parker yeah. uh, did together. Freya Parker, who's in the comedy group Lazy Susan and is a very talented uh, comic and writer and actor. Um, but yeah, so uh, we did one of uh, me and her just frantically trying to get out of a conversation with her leave voting parents where the, at the end of it, it turned out that they were just entirely reasonable and normal people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which I feel is the way that lots of discussions would actually go if we ever bothered to have them. <laughs> but it's nice. It's lovely. So are you planning to do more acting or is it just... Something... I'm really bad at it. You're not very... You're good. I'm not... I'm not really good at it. No. <laughs> But that's the thing. Yeah. Do you not feel like you don't want to? You don't really want to do things unless you feel as though you're going to be really. Well, good. I think the thing with acting is you don't have to. You know, nowadays you just do the. Just you have to do one thing. That's what actors are now. They just do one thing and then the same thing in the next thing they do. You could do one thing. I could do one. You could thing. do. You can do this. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I've been acting this whole time. <laughs> I am actually John Kearns. <laughs> This is well, you, he isn't here yet, so you might be. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> also, were they supposed to know that? Fuck. Yes. Fine. All right. That's next week, anyway. Mm. Uh, it'd be it'd be weird if he was here now because. Do you know what? John is one of the most hardworking men in the business. He turns up to the venue a week before he's required. <laughs> Well, it's been lovely to talk to you. So your show is called... This year's called... Dots. Dots. Yes. Ahirshah Dots uh, coming to uh, town near you. Yeah. Maybe, depending on where this goes out. <laughs> and are you planning to be back at the Fringe again with a new show for 2020? Not next year. What? Yeah. I think that I might instead do something that isn't mentally ruinous. Okay. <laughs> uh, which I think uh, too, too few of us do. Uh, yes, it's good. To, well, I think when you've done... You know, I did a lot in a row. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, it was, I've enjoyed... And I actually, I've stopped doing stand-up for, uh, some people would say, 30 years. But for, <laughs> I did a bit before the show. And people might still say that. I haven't, done, I haven't really done any stand-up for like a year and a half, apart from the bits I do at the beginning of this, which yeah. is me just dicking around. And it's been quite nice not to... <laughs> I thought I'd really miss it, and I'd you know, actually taken a bit of time away. I think it's quite good. Yeah. Unless you're burning with something that's... uh... Yeah. I think that sometimes you need to take a break from something in order to remind yourself uh, how much you love it 
Uh, and Katie, that's why Richard has been having an affair with a robot. <laughs> <laughs> the robot looks exactly like my wife. That's yeah. right, so it's fine. But just her when she was younger. So uh, it's... Uh... <laughs> Could anything be more romantic than that? So, uh, so what a compliment to her that is. When you think about it. <laughs> my wife's nearly the age I was when I met her now. That's how long we've been together. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> is Katie closer in age to me than you? Uh, how old are you? 28. Uh, yep. <laughs> <laughs> so, go and see it out here. It's very fantastic. Stand up. We'll edit a lot of this out. Uh, she doesn't usually get to the end of one. Uh, we might get away with it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, give a massive round of applause. Out here, show! We'll be back next week. James Bowie, bring around. You have been listening to Rahul with me, Rich Herring, and my guest, Ahir Shah. Thank you to Pest for providing the music. Thank you to everyone at the Theatre Royal in Winchester. Delightful venue that I loved playing. Thank you to everyone at Go Past the Stripe as well. Uh, I'm indebted to my... Producer Ed Morish in this instance. I'm also indebted, of course, as always, to Ben Walker, my executive producer, uh, and that's how he wanted to say executive producer, is Paul Rushy Rush. His nickname is Rushy. I don't know how they came up with that nickname for him, but it's good because he rushed his way through uh, executive producing this episode and did a fantastic half assed job. Well done, Paul. Uh, this is a fuzz, go faster, strike.com, and Sky Potato production. Why not head to rehearsal.co.uk to find out more? Or go to gofasterstrike.com slash badges, become a monthly badger, get all kinds of extras, including backstage interviews, my stand-up shows on download, lots of things. Uh, I can't even think what... You can get in a monthly draw, you get emails, you get ad-free versions of the podcast. It's great. Do it. Become a badger. You won't regret it. You get a secret code and everything. Anyway, see you next time on Rehalestapa-da-da-da-da-da-da.